Welcome to the Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place. Here to challenge you to think out of the box, your hosts, Felipe Mejia and Diego Corzo. Guys, welcome to the Rat Race to Five podcast. We have an amazing story. Uh, Michael, who's an immigrant from Cuba, come at a young age, uh, ended up going to a really good school. I'll let Diego talk about all this, but his story about reaching a hundred percenter is huge for me because it really, and listen to the end about how he reached financial independence through his small multifamilies. It's an amazing story. It reminds me a lot of like how I got started to working at GM. We have a lot in common, but it just shows the potential of what one can do when they start the right way with just what's most accessible when you want to get started and get over the analysis paralysis. Yeah, and guys, I've never seen Diego. Oh. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, I've never seen you fangirl over a guest. So I saw you getting more excited and more excited during this podcast because you saw that it generated with you. And I think a lot of our listeners are also going to be able to kind of attach themselves to the story uh, mm-hmm. coming from immigrant families or whatever the case may be. It's just a really good story about an immigrant winning, uh, you know, reaching financial independence, going to MIT school. Just it's a great story. Make sure you listen to the end, guys. But no more about us. Let's get right into it. Oh, I thought it was just one. <laughs> no, it's all good. Guys, so if you're listening awesome. to the podcast, we always clap at the beginning before the mic sync just so that the engineer here sees the spike and splices it right there. But Michael kept clapping. So the engineer's going to be like, clap, clap, clap. No, that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm excited. What a great way to start. Diego, what's up, man? How's Austin? I know you just came back from Puerto Rico. Yes, yes. Puerto Rico was a lot of fun back in Austin. Dude, I literally landed and I went to a final walkthrough. Like it was back to back. So it's awesome. Dude, you're that guy though. You can show up like you can go have fun. But like when you are needed and requested or you have a meeting like you, you show up. It's great. Michael, what's up, man? We're excited to have you on the show today. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited and honored to be here on the podcast. Uh, it's my first podcast, actually. So I'm pretty excited to, to see what's to, what to all about. Yeah. Oh, man, thanks that's awesome. Me. Well, we're excited to hear your story because I think it's going to benefit a lot of people who are interested in real estate. I think you said some crypto and just everything that you're doing. Um, so why don't we get started? But before we get into like your story, let's find out who Michael was in high school and in college. What did you study? What were your friend groups like? Any funny stories? Like we want to, we want people to be able to attach themselves to a certain story or something. So let's figure out who are you, Michael? Um, who are you in high school and in college? Yeah, so a little bit about me. I'm uh, born and raised in Miami, Florida, a son of two Cuban uh, refugees who left Cuba after the revolution. And I just settled in Miami to start a brand new life. Uh, I was uh, raised speaking Spanish at home, so I'm a native Spanish speaker. And I uh, was always uh, taught to be fully responsible and take responsibility and ownership for, for the things that I do and, and the behavior that I, that I would take, whether that was good behavior or bad behavior. <laughs> Um, it, it would, I would take ownership for it. So uh, going into high school, um, and, well, elementary and high school, I was uh, pretty the, the quiet kid in the classroom. I never really uh, was out and like talkative. I was really quiet, uh, reserved to myself, uh, very introverted and uh, had my close group of friends. But uh, that was it. I never really did any sports throughout elementary or middle school. Uh, my parents were very uh, hesitant to let me go out onto the streets and like uh, uh, meet new new people. I don't know if that was just the mentality or the mindset of 
of like backing Cuba and like uh, trustworthiness and stuff like that. But I never really grew around a uh, tight uh, community uh, except my parents. I mean, I had my family. That was my foundation. But um, I, I, I was I'm an only child. So uh, never, never really grew up with siblings. Uh, no pets in the house either. So very, <laughs> very solitary, if, if you want to call it that. Um, but anyways, going into high school, I I was very studious. I was sort of the 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 Jimmy Neutron. That was like my nickname uh, in high school, and like <laughs> uh, because I had my my hair I, my hair's short now, but I used to be a lot longer. And my dad would put it in a waveform, uh, a little bit better uh, uh, than than now. Yeah, but kind of kind of like what Diego has now. <laughs> so uh, he, people would would call me that, and that was my nickname. I would I would be the kid that would like get good grades and like uh, be very studious and uh, and then in high school I joined the swimming team so that was uh, pretty exciting to like start doing sports and and getting to meet new folks that were like interested in the same uh, area so I had a couple friends in the swimming team and I, I came became very close with my mentors and teachers who along the way helped me uh, apply for college and I'm very thankful for having them and being a great resource I'm, I'm always going to be grateful for for having them being my mentors throughout high school and uh, and making me realize of what I was capable of. Because another thing that I uh, had growing up was that scarcity mindset and that mentality that uh, it's we have to save every penny and we have to like uh, really like buckle down and only spend on the things that we really need. Because uh, my parents again came from this uh, from this background that they didn't have much uh, growing up. So uh, having those mentors in high school and my teachers to, to guide me through the process and make me realize that uh, I uh, was capable of much more was, was great. And uh, that, that led me to apply to a bunch of Ivy League schools and, and top schools around the country. Uh, I even applied to MIT thinking that I, didn't, uh, I wasn't going to get accepted. Uh, that was my REACH school that many people refer to. And, uh, and I got accepted uh, and in and, and, and regular admission because there's always like the early action and regular admission. So I was on the fence about applying for early action or regular, but I decided to hold off until regular to make sure I had a stronger application. But yeah, all of that to say that, I mean, growing up in, in that household of like a very limited uh, uh, mindset per se, and then growing up and realizing that I was capable of much more and getting accepted to MIT. That's wow. cool, man. <clears throat> That's yeah, a crazy a journey. Congrats. Because one one of the things that I did like about that is that we have to realize, right, as first generation immigrants, whether like like I'm a dreamer, I'm a DACA recipient, right? But we have to understand that our parents are always doing the best that they can do based based on what they know, right? Based on their own experience. So it's really it's really cool to see that you did have those people that were able to help you in college to make you see uh, who you can really become based on their own experiences too. And you being able to say, you know what? Yes, I believe this in myself and let's just do it. That's Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's, that's huge, Michael, because like you had great mentors in your life outside of your parents. Your parents probably showed you a great work ethic coming to this country and and doing what they can, but having people at a young age that believe in you, that um, that that are there and pushing you to do better, like that's huge. And that those are the things that I strive for my son to get outside of the house. Like 
I'm starting to realize that I get my son from like 7.45 or 8 to like 9 when he leaves. And then I get him from like 6 to 9 at night. Like there's a huge chunk in the day where somebody else is influencing my child. And that's scary. So like kudos to your parents for putting you in the right places where you needed to be. And then you taking the right decisions um, to joining the swim team and getting mentors and getting and getting, you know, fed by people um, that are going to speak life into you and continue to have you grow. So I think that's huge. Um, what was MIT like, though? That that sounds like a school that I would not get into. <laughs> right, Diego? Right. A hundred percent. But once he said the Jimmy Neutron and like, man, so you probably did some kind of engineering stuff too there or something. Yeah, so I was always the uh, math and sci- science whiz. Uh, like that, that was like what naturally flowed to me. I was never the kid that really enjoyed English classes. That was my my worst uh, subject that I I always uh, performed in. But yeah, I was always math and science, and my dad always was uh, tutoring me. So my dad, actually, one thing I forgot to mention is he was uh, much older. So there was like a thirty year gap between my mom and dad. And he was basically having a self, he was self-employed and he was able, speaking to the point where Felipe was talking about is like, uh, he would pick me up in the morning, uh, he would take me to school in the morning, I'm sorry, and then pick me up at, after school and I would spend the majority of the time with him uh, versus my mom would uh, be working most of the day. So I really grew close to him and he would like tutor me and like teach me math and science because those were his strengths as well. And, and and that that was just my natural um, natural uh, doing doing well in in school. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I went to an engineering college, so I get to say that <laughs> I did not study engineering. Uh, I went to the, one of the one of the highly respected uh, engineering colleges in Tennessee. It was Tennessee Tech University. A lot of our grads go to like really big stuff but it's funny because i was like uh i'm gonna go for sociology <laughs> i gotta my degree has a really nice picture on it because it's from a nice school but that's really about it <laughs> um so michael <laughs> what did you do after college what 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 job did you get what did you end up doing and then we'll talk about how you got into real estate yeah so uh real quick throughout college um i participated in the rifle team i, I got a little bit more into sports there uh, and then I, uh, I majored in electrical engineering and computer science. So the way MIT does it, it it's just one degree, but they uh, mesh together electrical engineering, computer science. Uh, and, for, and for those MIT alumni out there that are listening, I majored in 6-2. So everything at MIT is with numbers. So I was a 6-2 major at MIT. I graduated in 2017. And then I, growing up, another thing that my dad specifically sort of pushed me to become was a lawyer uh, since uh, I think it resonates a lot with uh, Hispanic folks that our parents are always uh, pushing us to be like doctors or lawyers or engineers and uh, because that's where the money's at right uh, but I, I wasn't r- quite sure that I wanted to do law so that's why I went into engineering uh, and then after that I had the intention of doing uh, patent law or intellectual property law which is requires uh, some sort of science background to, to be able to do that type of work. Um, and so what I did is I ended up doing an internship uh, for a law firm in, in Boston and uh, spent a couple months uh, sort of tasting, uh, getting my feet wet and tasting the, the field to see if it was something that I wanted to do. Uh, 
ultimately I decided it's not, it didn't really capture my attention. Uh, I was going to be sitting at a desk for the majority of the day, uh, reading papers and just uh, filling out paperwork, which didn't really excite me a whole lot. I'm more of a hands-on type of person. So I ended up accepting a job at uh, General Motors uh, right after college. Uh, I entered their two-year rotational program, which at the time was called TRAC. Uh, it, it stands for something, but I can't remember exactly what it is. Um, but they that allowed me to do uh, six, four-month rotations uh, throughout the company in different areas of engineering within the company. So think of it like six back-to-back -back internships. And I was really able to sort of get a sense of what I really enjoyed uh, doing. And uh, cars were always a hobby of mine growing up. I always uh, uh, liked um, learning about cars, how they worked, and like even like going on trips. Road trips are a huge uh, hobby of mine. I love just getting in the car and uh, going out and exploring. So I thought, well, why not merge my hobby with, with my degree? And that's what led me to General Motors. Um, at General Motors, after the two-year rotational program, I uh, landed in uh, calibration engineering. So up to about six months ago, I was uh, doing uh, diagnostic engineering. So basically that little check engine light that turns on in your car every once in a while to tell you that there's something wrong. That's what I was calibrating in the back end to making sure that it would detect when there was a fault in the car. Uh, and making sure that it was meeting all the emissions regulations set by CARB. So that was pretty cool. We got to uh, drive a bunch of cars, uh, cars that weren't even out in the public yet. So uh, we had a lot of fun there. And uh, But then my girlfriend and I, that, well, that's where I met my girlfriend. And then uh, we decided that the cold was just not for us. Uh, my girlfriend's from California, Southern California from Los Angeles. So uh, we're, and I'm from Miami. So uh, we were just like, this is not, we're, we're done with the cold and, and decided to move to Arizona, uh, which is where um, I'm, I'm, I'm at uh, right now and uh, transferred to the IT department there. So I'm still using my degree in a different form, uh, but um, yeah, now, now we're based out of Arizona. Yeah, hold on, one, there's a lot to talk about there. One, one sec here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what's interesting about your story, too, is that you studied <clears throat> like in MIT, then got into GM. And I actually worked at General Motors for two years. And I was given the choice to go to Detroit or Austin. And this was back when Arizona was not created and the Atlanta one wasn't created either um, on, on, on the IT department. So and I remember being in that interview and I told them, look, I do not like the snow. So the main, like, I'm going to Austin. And I've never been to Austin before either. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I worked at General Motors for, for two years um, on the tech side. And uh, then after that, I, I quit my job. I saw that. I realized, too, that I didn't want to be doing this full time as a computer engineer. Um, and, but, yeah, that's cool, dude. It's cool. We, yeah, that's, we have a that's lot in common. So you moved from Boston and then, so you, you moved a little bit warmer weather. Um, yeah, let's get into real estate. How did you find real estate after, uh, you know, after all that transition from, uh, you know, GM? Yeah. So the first thing I did when I got to Michigan was start looking for housing. And I 
realized that the properties in Detroit were so dirt cheap, like they were going for $10,000, $20,000, which I would never had seen before. And I was like, whoa, how how can this be? And and then I started uh, reaching out to different realtors in the area. And I came across uh, one realtor who worked with other investors and uh, took me to show a, a couple properties in downtown Detroit. And I was telling him, hey, like, how did how does how can I make this like like can I occupy a, a unit and like rent out the other? Because one thing in the Hispanic community that we tend to do a lot is like we live in one room and then we rent out the others. Right. So it's, it's pretty common in our uh, culture. So what I, I I was already my my gears were already cranking in my in my head as to how I could start doing this. And growing up, another thing my father uh, taught me how to do was to. Uh, manage uh, properties because he owned uh, well he owned the property in Miami where I was born but he also went out and bought a rental property in Orlando uh, in 2010 uh, and had me sort of manage the property from from Miami so I already had the sort of the background as to how rental properties would work and sort of the experience of dealing with tenants and uh, like writing checks, I would always be the one that write the check and then my dad would just sign off uh, and like doing all the tracking of expenses and all that good stuff. So in my mind, I was like, like now it's my turn to, to start doing this. So, so anyways, um, I ended up purchasing a duplex in downtown Detroit uh, that was recently remodeled. So the, the previous owners were moving out uh, and they, for, for for personal reasons, and they were leaving the property in, in great shape. So compared to all the other properties in the area, this was like a really good one. And I put 25% down and I um, rented out uh, both of them. So I was still renting at the time. So I didn't uh, move into the property. So I did an investment loan uh, on that one. And right away, I got tenants um, to to occupy the property, and this property was managing almost two percent. Uh, if you if we're following the one percent rule, this was property was almost two percent, and I was like, whoa, like this is really powerful, and there's a lot of potential in Detroit. Um, so I just kept on looking, and by the time that I, my lease was up in in one of my uh, apartments that I was actually uh, living with the roommate at the time. So we were splitting the rent in half. And then when my lease, when our lease was up, I was like, Oh, let me just go out and buy one where I can occupy it. So that's where I went out in, into the suburbs of Detroit, be like closer to work. I was living, I was working out of the proving grounds in, in Milford and, uh, purchased another duplex. This one, I was able to do an FHA loan three and a half percent down occupy one unit and rent out the other. The good thing about this was that the other side uh, of the duplex was able to cover 100% of my mortgage. And through work, uh, I mean, we were using uh, uh, company cars. I mean, given that our work situation required us to drive the company cars, uh, I was very uh, fortunate to not have to pay for gas or for much of insurance. Like most of the time we were able and we were allowed to use the company car. And uh, so my housing expense was covered. My transportation expenses were covered. 
and then my food was very minimal so i was like i'm just saving up a ton and yeah so i was like this this is this is the life so i was i started reaching out to other people that were doing the same thing i i started listening to um podcasts so uh, podcasts were a an amazing catalyst to getting me started into real estate i started uh with um some financial independence podcasts like afford anything but with paula pant i was uh following coach carson i was following um uh the the bigger pockets podcast and then i was actually listening to felipe in the rookie podcast when he, when he was there and it, it was just like all of this information was just going in and i was like this is i, I gotta act so it was all a matter of action taken from there so talk about how let's let's go back a little bit let's talk about how important it is to eliminate your biggest expense and then it sounds like you also eliminated your second big expense so people are going to say oh well michael's lucky he had a good job or Michael was lucky because he had money or support or this or the other. But it sounds like even though you had those things, you still took the initiative to try to eliminate your top two biggest expense, which is vehicle and your housing expense. Talk talk about how that has like really pushed you forward to be successful quicker because you did kind of make those sacrifices in the beginning. I'm sure you were making a good salary. You could have been like, I'm just going to buy the house that I want, live with my girlfriend, you know, buy the Ferrari or whatever. But it sounds like you took a different approach. Can you dig into that a little more? Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to share as well, full disclaimer. I mean, I went to MIT. Uh, thankfully, I, I was able to get uh, financial aid and uh, merit scholarships that were able to cover 100% of my expenses. So I walked out of college with uh, zero debt, basically. But my net worth, at, I, I didn't have a whole lot of money and, my debt, and I didn't have debt. So I was starting off at zero. Uh, which is an amazing feat already uh, coming out of college. Um, and I just wanted to be transparent about that. And also, uh, so the first thing I got into GM was like, okay, I need to start saving now because I'm at zero. I need, I need to start like accumulating wealth here. Like, and coming from my Hispanic background, uh, I, my mentality was always like, I got to save, I got to save, I got to save. So that like natural instinct was like, okay, I'm, I'm making this much and uh but i need to set aside uh, a certain amount of money another thing that um kind of led to to me saving up uh, more money was uh networking with the right people at work because one thing that i got that i found out when i got to gm was like all the amazing benefits that they have including the 401k match that they had so i had this uh, really good friend um, we still talk every once in a while uh, who sort of sat me down and like and, and showed me what were the benefits uh, at work and like because I had never had a uh, an employer that would offer a full uh, uh, level of, of benefits. So uh, he sat me down and he told me, "Look, this is you have you have eligibility to HSA, you have your 401k match, you have uh, your um, uh, health insurance, dental, uh, medical." And you also have the ability to save into a Roth IRA, Roth IRA to start saving even more once you max out your 401k. So I, I learned about all these things and then listening to these podcasts as well while, while, while working kind of like um, helped me just getting uh, into the right mindset of, of, of saving, but saving smart, right? Like knowing what you're saving for. 
so then I, it got me thinking, well, what do I, what do I want to say for? And then I was like, okay, this whole real estate seems to be doing really well. Um, so I started setting aside money uh, for real estate uh, in addition to retirement. That's cool. That's, That's cool. amazing. And now, um, and now you are at eight doors from, from where you and I were talking, right? Right. So, um, from when I left college um, to now, I've acquired eight doors uh, in total. So I, I would say in five years, I've been able to acquire eight doors. That Man, is that's awesome. amazing. That's awesome. That's, that's amazing. Dude, our stories are similar in a way uh, from the house hack perspective, especially like I was working in Euro Motors and then I bought, I bought two properties before I bought the, my first one to house hack. So I kept my rent at still at like 500 a month, uh, renting a room. And just, just because I knew I was like, Hey, I'm not going to pay much more than like 500 or 550, uh, until I can live for free. So that was my, my, my mentality, but totally agree with you. Like once you have your biggest expenses, right. And this is not something that that a lot of people are aware but once you do your it begins to be a game right it's sort of like how can i have my assets pay for certain bills and have one house pay for your rent one house pay for your car or at this point with you fortunately working at gm that was one of the cool things right uh but but at the end of the day is being having that understanding that if you do want to achieve financial independence uh, you just need to invest wisely, especially if, uh, especially if you do it for passive income. One thing that these podcasts also like allowed me to learn was how to like leverage credit cards to uh, be able to stack up um, uh, points or miles in a way that was uh, didn't accumulate debt. So I, I, I started playing the credit card game too. And while I was like uh, renovating these homes that I was occupying and like buying stuff at Home Depot or like buying stuff on Amazon, I would uh, I would sign up for new credit cards and uh, do the sp minimum spend to rack up the points and then just add them all up. And now that I've accumulated so many points, now it's allowed me to like just travel on these points. So all of these five years of expenses have been just accumulating to the point where now I have over a million like points between Chase and Amex and I can just go and stay for free at hotels and and just reap the rewards. So that's another uh, cool thing that I was able to do. But that's the cool thing about like doing the right things even when when no one is watching like you didn't need to do that. Right. But it's like there's something comes out of doing the right things at all times that pay off on the back end. Like I remember being on the construction site working and thinking it is Friday at six o'clock. I, I, I don't need to be here. I could be doing something, but I just kept grinding and kept hustling because I knew that I had a better tomorrow. And you with credit card points or Diego or, or school and, and everything like there's something people always say luck. And I'm starting to hear that a lot. People are getting lucky or you got lucky. And it's like, no, it seems like we just did the right things a lot. And that added up. Right. And there's something powerful about that. Um, would you mind expanding a little bit more on the credit card side? Cause I know a lot of people's ears just probably perked up. So tell us, what did you do? How do you use them? I know everyone just got up out of their chair and was like, Ooh, I want to hear more about that. Yeah. So I basically, uh, started, um, targeting the, uh, chase cards. So there's this thing called, uh, the chase 524 rule. 
And basically, the best way to approach the credit card hacking strategy is to uh, apply for as many Chase cards as you can first, and then start diversifying out into like other uh, brands. Um, so I started with like the Chase trifecta, with which I think is like the Chase Freedom Unlimited, uh, the Chase Sapphire Preferred, and then the um, can't remember what the other one is. Um, uh, there's a third, but I can't remember now. So uh, I got those three, and then I uh, was able to rack up those points. I got uh, my other friends uh, involved too, so I would send referral links to them, and uh, uh, that would help me get more points. Awesome. And then, uh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I opened up my business credit card for the first time when I uh, realized that I was mixing my personal and uh, real estate stuff. So. That was that's a good way to like start separating your expenses is to get a business credit card. It also helps to uh, build up your uh, business credit. Um, so uh, I got the American Express uh, Platinum business card uh, for the first time, and that has been amazing. I mean, I I can't tell you how many perks I've been able to get out of that, and uh, and people might get shocked by the value, like the annual fee that you have to pay like $695 for the annual fee, but it's so worth it. Like you get so much out of it. I think you get even more out of it than those $700 that you might be paying the annual fee if you used it properly. So, um, yeah, just, I think at this point I have about 15 credit cards in total, uh, between uh, personal and business credit. And that's not even like the tip of the iceberg. Like I'm just going to, just continue building up credit because I've learned that that's the best way to like leverage um, leverage uh, money to for real it's estate. It really is your report card on borrowing. Like when I go to when I go to the bank, they don't ever ask me for my college degree. They ask me for income and credit score. Right. Like that is that is your that is your do you have an A plus or not? So I try to keep mine above 750. Um, I'm sure Michael yours is in the 800. So don't laugh at my credit score. <laughs> No, that's really good. That's still excellent. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so let's move on. Um, let's talk about one of your properties. Let's talk about your favorite one and then we'll go into lessons learned. Like, run the numbers on one of your favorite ones. What's it doing now and, and things like that. Let's talk about it. Sure. Yeah. So I, I'll say that my favorite one is the property I bought when I was uh, General Motors in Michigan. I purchased the uh, duplex on an FHA loan, so three and a half percent down. Uh, I purchased it for three hundred and fifty thousand, uh, and got during the negotiation uh, side. I was able for the seller to give me some um, concessions. I think it was like three percent concessions. So what that allowed me to do was to save even more cash because now I'm going into the closing table with three and a half percent down, three percent concessions. So my down my down payment was very minimal. Uh, and and I'm going into this property knowing that I'm going to be cash flowing, even though even while I'm occupying the property. So um, the once we closed, I think uh, I I was able to get a tenant in there like a month into it. I just did some minor uh, renovations or fixes to it, and I was able to rent it out for twenty three hundred. And my uh, PITI with PMI, so this is with PMI and taxes and insurance was only 2000. So I was cash flowing $300 uh, out of the gate uh, in that property. Uh, this was a this was a duplex on a one acre lot with a 1600 
square foot basement and a, um, I think it's uh, 16, so 1600 living space plus a 1600 basement. And then my unit on the side was 800 square feet with a two bed and two, one bath. The other side had, um, or has uh, three bedrooms and one and a half bathrooms. So just for anyone that's listening, anyone can buy a duplex, triplex or quadplex with just a regular loan because you're going to live in it. an FHA like it, it does. You're not going to have to go get a special loan for a small multifamily of this nature. And like Michael said, you can rent out the other sides <clears throat> showing income. Now, I always say get an LLC. Now, I'm not a CPA or a tax attorney, but get an LLC. You put that income into the LLC and start creating a business because you're going to buy more rentals. Um, eliminating your biggest expense, which is your mortgage. And now you can show after a year or sooner that the mortgage is being covered, you know, by tenants and you, you can apply for another loan if you got to move because of job or whatever. Um, and it sounds like Michael has done this a couple of times and now you're, now you have a bunch of doors. You've been doing this four or five years. Michael, what's your goal going forward? Are you, are you headed towards financial independence? Are you financially there? Um, what is your goal for the next couple of years? Yeah, great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, I so right now with my eight doors, I am technically 100% uh, cover my expenses. So <laughs> I'm technically financially free. I my Michael, current level. You're not of as excited. Wait, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. You are not as excited as I. Your parents had an American dream for you. You, how, you bounce off the walls, bro. You've reached financial independence, with many people don't. Like that's. I don't think people celebrate themselves enough. Yeah. What would your yeah. parents say right now, man? What would your grandparents say, bro? You've reached financial independence through the American dream that Diego once said, I am the American dream, right? Right. Michael, yeah. that's no, 100%. that's listening, bro, you did it in four and a half, five years. Like yeah, that's, you went to an he's MIT. 27. He became a hundred percenter. He went bro. to MIT and became a hundred percenter by 27. That's huge. That's you beat me. Awesome. I was 28 <laughs> or 29. Oh, uh, no way. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, so it's a bittersweet feeling because okay. growing up that like it, it's tough because growing up in like the, this household of like my parents always working my mom going into work at 7 a.m coming out at 7 p.m like barely being able to see her and my dad just like uh drilling into me like hey you like you gotta save you gotta save you gotta become a lawyer and and now that i have the freedom to do whatever i want it's like it's like a weight has just been lifted off my shoulders. Like I'm, I'm able to do whatever I want. And the fact that I was able to do that, like you said, in four and a half, five years, it's, it, it's amazing and it's achievable. It's doable. And, and, and now that I have my hands on it, it's, it's, it's like the possibilities are endless. I honestly don't That's think awesome. that us as Latinos, we celebrate each other enough, which is why we're huge on celebration. We take a whole like 15 minutes every Monday in rat race to celebrate W's. Because I don't think it's in our cultura to, to celebrate. It's like, oh, you started a new business, pues, you know, a ver si te va bien. ¿Cuánto te va a costar? ¿Qué es la seguranza? Like, we go towards the negative route versus uplifting each other. Dude, you've reached financial independence in four years. You have a great college degree, a great job. Like, you're living the life you like. Like, that's awesome. And it's empowering to other people to know that an immigrant from Cuba who, who got here was able to do this. Or Diego, same thing, right? A DACA recipient was able to reach his 100 percenter. Uh, and actually, Diego, you should explain what a hundred percenter means because somebody listening is probably going to be like, "Wait, what does that mean?" Uh, but yeah. dude, Michael, I want to congratulate you, bro. And every other person doesn't—I I don't care if you're black, white, whatever, Latino or not—celebrate your wins. Like it's okay to to soak in that for a second. I mean, obviously, don't stop there; keep going. 
But like, it's okay to celebrate your wins, you know? But Diego, what is a hundred percenter, bro? You said that earlier. Yeah, hundred percenter. This is something that I learned from my mentors in GoBundance. Uh, it's basically a formula to achieve financial freedom because a lot Small of people flex think- in GoBundance. Do you hear that, in Michael? Abundance. Small flex. I have to give credit. They were the <laughs> ones that taught me. And they taught me this formula when I was 23. And I achieved 100% by 26, 27. So, um, and it's just the level of awareness that once you know this formula that all of you guys are going to learn here now um, can help you achieve financial independence. So in a nutshell is- Grab a sheet of paper, guys. Grab a sheet of paper. <laughs> it's your passive income, your monthly passive income divided by your monthly living expenses. So to give you an example, if you have 500 coming in in passive income, cash flow, $500, and you spend $5,000 a month, then at that point you would put 500 divided by 5,000, you get 10, right? Or one-tenth. That is 10 percenter. The idea is that once you begin to play with this formula, you like the goal should be to get to 25 percent or in year in year two or maybe that's year three then 50 percent or by year four and then by year five year six and so forth but you do not need millions of dollars like a lot of people think uh there's another thing that people say hey uh if you put it in the stock market at four percent or whatever you can live off that i'm more from the no i'm gonna be putting money into real estate and having that pay me because you can achieve that in five years and you're a living proof of that, right? Um, by being able to understand this formula, uh, that's why I said 100 percenter, because you just need to focus in going from 10 to 25, 25 to 50 and so forth. That's huge. Um, I think a lot of people do think that it takes up to 60 years old to retire. And that's probably because like the infrastructure here in the United States requires people to work until they're 60. So we've been like engraved that. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs, immigrants, maybe weren't raised that way. And we're like, wow, this country is a beautiful country. I love being here. I can probably reach financial independence in five to six years if I just invest correctly, take care of my credit and buy cash flow assets versus depreciating liabilities. And that's what Michael did. I'm sure Michael didn't buy a Ferrari five years ago. Instead, he bought a, a little duplex or a quadplex and then kept doing the right decisions over and over and over. And that's stacked on. And now he's a hundred percenter. Um, I bet you're a millionaire. I wonder if you're, I wonder if when's the last time you checked your net worth, but I'm sure you're a millionaire as well. Most of the times financial independence leads to millionaire status based on uh, equity and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I can I can say I'm I'm a millionaire driving a 2002 Nissan Xterra with over 200,000 miles on it. So, <laughs> uh, and I you worked at GM, bro. Go get it something nice, bro. Dude, I was working at GM, and I still got like I had friends that got the Cadillac, that got the Camaro, coming right out of college. We were like 23, 24, and I got a I got a Honda Civic. And I got a used 09 Honda Civic and then I got my Accord. Um, but yeah, dude, I didn't do that either. Yeah. So that's hilarious. That's funny. We just got our Teslas, Diego and I, and we've been doing real estate for six years. Bro, I had a, a 2005 F-150 truck until like last year. And it was a V8 gas guzzler. It was it was not okay. Um, and, a, and a Nissan Sentra. I think that those are my two vehicles that I used for a long time. And even like you said, financially independent and reach the millionaire status. Um, 
Like I waited a long time to get what I wanted. So Michael, I'm, I'm, what do you want, Michael? And then we're going to move on because we're, we're going a little long here. What's the car that you want? So I think um, my future car, I think you're a car guy. A Tesla too. Yeah, I, I like Teslas too. I think I'm going to go for the Tesla as well. I'm, I'm excited for the Cybertruck. We'll see, see how, how well it does. I got you, bro. Awesome. Michael, what's, what's your, what's this year's goal for you? Uh, and then where can people find you? Where can people reach out to you? Yeah. So my goal this year is to network with as many people as possible. Um, I've been able to acquire eight units on my own with my own, um, uh, credit right now, but I've sort of reached that, uh, limit where, uh, my DTI is starting to get maxed out and, uh, um, and, I need more cash. So I think my, my goal is to network with more people, partner up, do partnerships and, and, uh, get out there and, and, and start putting more into uh, short-term rentals. I want to try and explore that market a little bit more. And yeah, I mean, I'm going to be, uh, just networking with as many people as possible and, and getting out there and learning, learning more about creative ways of financing. That's awesome, man. And if anybody does have questions, um, what is your IG handle or where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me at First Gen Investor on Instagram. Uh, I'm also First Gen Investor on uh, TikTok, and you can also reach me on Twitter, First Gen Invest underscore. Uh, I, don't, I don't do Twitter a whole lot, but the best way to reach me would be Instagram. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for, for being here, for sharing your story of how you're achieving your version of the American dream. Um, so it is, it is amazing. And I know it's going to inspire a lot of people, a lot of people. So thank you. I agree. Thanks, Michael. Thank we'll you see for you having me. Thank you. The Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place.